Welcome back, Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason Mann, and with me is a very special guest returning to the program after a, uh, a long absence, but uh, fondly remembered by uh, for his great appearances previously on this show. It is uh, Adam Johnson of Basketball Panth- Pantheon. Adam, welcome Thanks back. Thanks for having me. How are you doing, Jason? Uh, doing great. Doing great. Uh, you know, it's, uh, of course, an exciting time in uh, the NBA. We're on the eve of uh, free agency. You know, it's the offseason sometimes is even more exciting than the uh, than the season can be in the NBA. We get all, the, of course, the, the exciting rumors, the exciting possibilities of, you know, new great teams forming. And, you know, and uh, it's just gotten more and more exciting in the NBA over recent years. And that made me think that maybe we should look at um, – the biggest free agent signing for each NBA team, because obviously there are some teams that have an illustrious uh, history of signing free agents. The Lakers, obviously the heat, some of the, you know, premier teams in NBA history. And then there are teams that have had relatively few free agents. And it's kind of interesting to look at the disparity between them and to sort of dis- discuss and debate who might be the biggest free agent in uh, each NBA team's history. And I-, I thought of you as a connoisseur of uh, NBA history. And uh, I think it's a good topic. To discuss. Definitely. I was, uh, yeah, when you sent me kind of the initial idea, I was in immediately. That's a uh... Very cool idea, and and yeah, I think the uh, people, our listeners here, will uh, will see the difference in some of the teams is pretty drastic. So uh, in terms of who their best free agent signing is, yes. So we kind of, and this is sort of a loose criteria, but this is meant to be how significant the free agent signing was seen to be at the time. So not necessarily something like in retrospect. Um, you know, obviously there are some signings that were huge at the time that didn't really work out. There are some that of relatively minor players who turned out to be awesome players so we're, we're kind of trying to, to um, discuss how it would have been seen at the time although they're again we're probably going to differ from that from here and there but just just to get a sense of you know why your guy may not be on the list just to kind of get a sense of that's that's sort of what we're looking at here um and you know there isn't necessarily a centralized database on this we used um basketball reference a lot of course uh, abpr i had you know good listing of significant free agent signings a couple other sources as well so you know if we i think we're pretty thorough and comprehensive but if we somehow miss somebody important here and there we, we apologize in advance so looking, but before we get into that, I just want to look very briefly at NBA free agent history. Um, you know, pre-1976, very, very limited amounts of free agency. Basically, if a team no longer wanted you anymore, you were uh, going to be a free agent. Otherwise, you basically were stuck with your team as long as you wanted to. You could possibly sit out a year, which was called an option year, and become a free agent. But that, in practicality, didn't really happen very much. The ABA kind of changed things a little bit in the late 60s and into the 70s, but it was still pretty limited. Then once the NBA merger happened, they, um, there was a period from about 76 to 79 where any free agent signing came with compensation to the prior team. Um, and then in 80 to 87, they had what basically is restricted free agency today where uh, you, know, you, could, you could sign an offer sheet with a team, but the other team had a chance, your, your prior team had a chance to match. Uh, and there were a lot of compensation deals and trade type stuff that was worked out uh, during that period. And from 88, that was the beginning of the modern uh, system of having unrestricted free agents as well as having, you know, restricted players. Uh, it's been tweaked since. There's been addition of the rookie scale in 1996, addition of a sign-in trade in 99, and other things as well. But even we've had a fairly similar system since um, 
since 88 tom chambers being the uh, first notable uh, free agent that year though we'll get into a few of the other ones from 88 because it's definitely a pretty interesting class yeah and i think i think just to be clear for, for everybody listening to is uh on our criteria we w- there's a couple of these that i think by the very very letter of the law are like sign in trades but they're essentially free agent signing so you know i'm sure there's people who are going to try to be like pointing out things like that but we want to keep it to what essentially were free agent signings and that's kind of what made our list up just so everybody knows that no, yeah, I, I'm glad I, I was going to mention that, and I, I forgot, so I'm glad that you pointed that out. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I consider, obviously, like, LeBron James and Chris Bosh right. to the Heat uh, in 2010 were, were technically signing trades, but, like, they were, you know, they were driven by the fact that, you know, that they would have gone to Miami no matter whether a signing trade had been accomplished or not. It was just, it was, you know, again, a technicality. So I, I consider those to be, you know, in that same in that same category. So thank you for pointing that out. So we're going to go by uh, the... More recent teams added to the league to the earliest teams in the uh, league. Why? I don't know. It's just the way that I decided to choose it. So, uh, actually, we're we're putting the uh, we're putting the Hornets and the uh, Pelicans in a, a special category. They're they're going to join with the with the Hornets history, and then we're going to split out the Pelicans history because uh, I know people say it's not confusing, but I, I think it's confusing. So we're we're not starting with uh, the uh, the Pelicans or the Hornets. We're going to start with the Grizzlies. Um, so. In their history, it's mostly been Memphis. Uh, a couple of the notable free agents that they've had: uh, James Posey in two thousand and three. He was, you know, at that point he was, you know, kind of a young, uh, rising, you know, sort of three and D type player. Even though that I don't think that was quite in vogue yet in two thousand and three, but uh, you know, kind of a kind of a little bit what like whichever Ariza is today. Um, Younger at that point, of course. Uh, they had some fading stars. Uh, Allen Iverson at the very end in 2009. And then uh, Gilbert Arenas at the end of the 2012 season came along. Neither one of those lasted, of course, for very long. And uh, the guy who I would say probably is our choice would be uh, Chandler Parsons in 2016. A big for agent signing. And unfortunately, his health has uh, prevented him from making much of an impact. He had one absolutely terrible season. And then uh, and then one season where he was sort of okay, but obviously not producing with the, you know a, uh, a high level contract to be there was sort of the thought that there was some potential with him Mike Conley and Mark Gasol to form you know what could have been a, a deep playoff team or you know even you know a fringe championship contender type team but that has not worked out uh, health concerns have beguiled them all is there uh, uh, do you have any uh, any additions to that list or anyone who you would uh, uh, d- debate differently? Uh, not any additions uh but yeah more so just the, the parsons thing it's like i mean obviously in hindsight it looks it looks awful but um at the time i you know and even at the time people were if he stays healthy is was kind of the key word there but um but yeah that really was like hey maybe this is a way to kind of extend this grit and grind era and like evolve it rather than um reset and they thought you know this is a perfect piece to kind of slot in uh, a m- much more offensive minded guy than like the tony allen you know piece that they'd had prior in that position so um yeah and it just has has backfired you know dramatically and it's now you know possibly the worst contract in the nba so um so yeah it's very crazy how two years can can shift you know someone's thinking towards a contract that drastically and alan iverson who who couldn't forget the three games you know he played in uh, the 0-9-10 season for the, for the grizzlies uh yeah it didn't quite work out no, no, yeah, Arenas was. Yeah, I think I think for Iverson and Race, that was both their last NBA stops. I mean, maybe did Iverson play with the Sixers afterward, or was that? Yeah, twenty five games later okay. that season with the Sixers, and then that was it. Okay, well there you go. So so that that was that's a better send off than three games with the Grizzlies. Yeah, yeah, they made some yeah, there's sort of some odd decisions there. Despite, of course, they've had you know quite a few years of um, 
you know, very good success the last few years, you know, not as much because of injuries and age and things like that. But like, even when they were, you know, building this kind of weird, you know, out of nowhere team, you know, with Randolph and Tony Allen and, you know, some guys who, and even Mike Conley, who some guys who were kind of maligned at the time for their contracts turned out to be great, but they also, you know, were bringing in Allen Iverson there. Uh, so, which obviously was uh, not even seen as a great idea at the time. You know, he was pretty much, uh, he, he was pretty much done at that point, obviously. So next we have the Toronto Raptors. Um, the uh, key players there that not an illustrious, uh, well, some some big names here, but not necessarily at the point of their careers where you would uh, be wanting to add them. Uh, the first Charles Oakley, nineteen ninety nine, of course, advanced in his career. He began in the in I think eighty seven or so. Um, although honestly, I think he was definitely a big. Um, catalyst for the cultural change that they kind of brought in you know obviously Vince Carter was you know rookie and it was an emerging star uh they had Antonio Davis and some other good uh veterans there kind of a nice mix of young players and veterans actually that you know led them to a you know fairly deep playoff run and it looked like it had the the potential to be a very good team until you know kind of issues with the team and Carter kind of derailed that but he definitely was you know even though he was more of a limited role player on the court he was definitely part of you know the big change that they um that they had there uh also Akeem Olajuwon in 2002 that was a sign and trade but obviously that less of an on-court impact but just you know a big star you know leaving the team that he had gone to forever to go to a Toronto uh also Ray for Alston in 2004 was kind of a young up-and-coming player not really a you know notable star but you know was, was kind of in the names here and then uh Mahito Turglu from uh, 2009, kind of actually had forgotten all about this one, but after, you know, he had had uh, those you know, great years in, in Orlando, led them to a finals appearance, or one, one of the key players in that finals appearance, he ended up, uh, I believe, flirting with the Blazers and nearly signing with them, and then spurning the Blazers and going to the Raptors. I think he had even agreed with the uh, Blazers and sort of a... Um, DeAndre Jordan situation and and went went off of that and went to the Raptors and I didn't know that really worked out he went ended up with the Magic and you know a couple years later I think went to the Suns too actually if I'm not mistaken so he kind of bounced around uh, there but uh, I, I think it was definitely seen as you know a big star at the time you know could have paired with Bosch and you know and, and brought them kind of back to respectability I think they kind of played okay you know had called a run who was sort of seen as a you know pretty good young point guard at the time so you know interesting uh, what that could have looked like in hindsight but uh, but, but yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of a funny one. Yeah, no, I think I think that was a big one at the time. I think I mean coming off of a finals appearance where he was a huge, huge role, he played a huge role in that uh, 09 finals run for Orlando, and I think people thought, hey, you know, this is something that can. Yeah, I think the Bosch, the thing that you said, you can pair with Bosch and, you know, fit well. One guy can pop out. One guy can, you know, kind of handle the ball, handle pick and roll and um, kind of a versatile team. Maybe would have been a little bit ahead of their time if it was like the actual version of Hito that the Magic got in the playoffs, but it just wasn't. And uh, yeah, it didn't quite go to plan. I think he only lasted one season there. So um, yeah, rough one there. Uh, yeah, I, I would say of, of the names here, I think he was probably the biggest one at yeah, the time. Um, I think that's fair. Given, given the context, I mean, yeah, Oakley was, I think, kind of a different category. I think he was important, but I don't think he was, yeah, he definitely wasn't as big of a, you know, productive star as Turkoglu was at that time, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So next we have the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, we have uh, Sam Mitchell coming over from the uh, the Pacers in 1995. The, the, this was a very uh, this was kind of a thin uh, list. So the fact that Sam Mitchell gets on there, although he obviously he spent a long time with the Timberwolves, was, was kind of an important part. I, again, kind of kind of more of a cultural shift kind of guy um, than the impact on the court. Uh, Malik Seeley in 1998. Uh, Chauncey. 
Phillips in 2000. Now, now he kind of revived his career with the Timberwolves. Before then, he was had bounced around quite a bit already, but he had just been, you know, he's a couple years away from being the number three draft pick, so that that, that seems like a relatively significant one. And then, uh, interesting one, 2012, Andre Kirilenko and Brandon Roy. You know, Kirilenko returning uh, from a, a couple years in Russia and actually had a really good season with the Wolves uh, that year. Um, of course, he'd had, you know, his best years with the uh, with, with the Utah Jazz. And then Brandon Roy, he had um, retired from the uh, Portland Trailblazers, but decided to make a comeback. And, uh, you know, that was certainly celebrated at the time or, 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 or seen as like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe he could do it. That was, if it had been the kind of thing that had paid off, it obviously would have been, you know, huge cue because, you know, Brandon Roy was an awesome player for a long time. But unfortunately, his comeback did not last very long because of the knee issues. Karolinko had an excellent year, but then ended up leaving um, – Minnesota and going to uh, going going to Brooklyn to join with the uh, uh, the KG Paul Pierce uh, uh, Darren Williams uh, Brooke Lopez uh, attempted a super team uh, there but but yeah it, it, that was kind of a fun year that that was sort of an up and coming um, Wolves team with Ricky Rubio Kevin Love with um, Rick Adelman as the coach they they were kind of seen as you know on the rise and maybe a team that you know was gonna you know kind of finally uh break through and then a lot of injuries and other issues kind of derailed them and until they've you know gotten to the new incarnation that they've you know finally gotten to the playoffs now yeah I, yeah i remember the brandon roy one at the time was was yeah much much more out of hope than it was out of uh, realistic expectations um but yeah but obviously a big name but yeah you're right i mean this is this is a it's a very thin group uh, uh chauncey chauncey i remember yeah those two years especially i think that second one it was when he became a starter for most of that season um and people kind of thought hey you know this is like now now the actual point guard that we compare with kg after you know the earlier you know ill-fated stuff on marbury relationship but uh but yeah the next year he moved on to detroit and for chauncey at least the rest is history yeah i'm not sure honestly if there's one who i would pick here who i would say like uh, yeah <laughs> is the right one it's yeah I, I i mean i guess I, I guess maybe Karolinko, I, no, I, like, I, I guess in terms of, like, a notable, like, he was probably the most productive player at the time, you know, um, he had the best NBA track record of all these guys, which is, you know, kind of rough to say, but I, I mean, Roy, combined with the expectation of, okay, he could continue that production, because Roy obviously was, was the most productive one, but he, you know, the expectation, as, as you mentioned, was pretty, you know, it was, it was more of a hope than, than a real estate expectation. Yeah, Karolinko, yeah, had played that lockout season. And, uh, and Seska Moscow right before that. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I agree. I guess it's Karolinko. That's, oh, that's, that's pretty rough, but <laughs> So uh, next we have uh, Orlando Magic and uh, some really interesting ones here. Uh, Horace Grant in 1994, uh, leaving the uh, leaving the Bulls, and uh, after Michael Jordan had retired and uh, moving on to a, you know a team again that looked like a really you know rising Eastern Conference pile, power. You know Magic or excuse me, uh, not Magic Johnson obviously, but the guy who was compared a lot to Magic Johnson, uh, Penny Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal. You know looking like they were going to be an awesome tandem for a long time, and uh, you know Horace. Grant really adding some credibility to that team and, and of course adding you know really good piece that, that could fit in along with those guys um after you know that that arrow went away after after Shaq left for the Lakers after you know Penny Hardaway's injuries and leaving uh the new era began with Tracy McGrady and Grant Hill in 2000 uh Grant Hill in particular obviously was you know one of the, the great established star at the time with the uh, Pistons and had you know um uh, you know, was maybe not quite MVP level player, but, you know, definitely, you know, top 10, top five, you know, all NBA type player. And uh, looked like he, you know, was, he was in the, his mid twenties and was looking like he was going to have, you know, a great career ahead of him. Um, he did Turgaloo in 2004, uh, you know, w- was not, uh, probably actually not at the time, wasn't necessarily seen as that huge of a deal. I mean, he had some pretty good time, pretty good years with the, 
with the Kings, but but was not, uh, you know, with more coming off the bench and, you know, p- potential good young player there. Uh, Richard Lewis in 2007, uh, I, I think, was another one who um, was like a, was more like a fringe type all-star type player. So I, I, I think that quite on the level of, uh, obviously not the level of Grant Hill. I think he would be the uh, choice for me here, but I'm interested in what you have to, what you think about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the Richard Lewis deal getting heavily criticized at the time too, because uh, it was, which sounds like nothing now, but $20 million a year. Um, for, yeah, for a player who at the time people were like, oh, you can't, you know, build around him. But he ended up being, you know, really big for them. And I mean, they don't make the finals without Richard Lewis. So that's stuff. But no, Grant Hill, Grant Hill absolutely has to win this. Um, and people also remember that was the summer they were going after Tim Duncan. I think that was uh, the initial plan. I mean, being from San Antonio, I, I definitely remember every kid at school signing the Stay Tim Stay banners at, uh, you know, grocery stores and things like that, that, um, yeah, everyone was terrified that he was going to leave. And, um, yeah, I mean that, to, so to me, yeah, Grant Hill is, is the clear winner. Obviously Trace McGrady went on to have the best uh, stint as an Orlando magic uh, player, but yeah, Grant Hill at the time, uh, surely wins this. Yeah, no, I absolutely would uh, agree with that for, uh, for sure. Um, so next we have the, uh, New Orleans, uh, Hornets and Pelicans. We're going to go with the New Orleans years uh, first, and then we'll discuss the, uh, the, the Charlotte, uh, Hornets, Bobcats and, and second Hornets teams, uh, for New Orleans. We have, um, Chris Anderson, the Birdman, in uh, 2004, kind of a basically just uh, you know good up and coming young player, played for Denver and was you know obviously athletic type big man. You know nothing particularly special. These these are not the best names here. Uh, but although genuine all star level player, uh, Pejo Stojakovic, uh, 2006, he'd um, played for the Kings and then was traded to the uh, Pacers when it became apparent he made or when they were looking to make a change and it came apparent that he wasn't going to come back and then he ended up uh, signing with the. Uh, Pelicans, unfortunately, injuries kind of derailed his his time there for the most part. Although he was able to close his career with a uh, helping the Mavericks win the championship in 2011, and then um, Morris Peterson, who was uh, in 2007, who was a, a long uh, mainstay uh, with that team, and um, or at least he was there for a few years and kind of a solid player. But honestly, I I, I think. Uh, I, I think of the players, certainly at the time, I think Stojakovic would be would be clearly the winner here. Yeah, no question. Um, yeah, when Mo Pete and Birdman are your uh, your competition, that's that's pretty easy to do. So for the uh, the Charlotte version of the uh, franchise, uh, and these are all pretty much yeah, these these are all uh, Hornets. I I don't think the 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 Bobcats actually had a uh, entry here. Um, so a couple of early choices that I think are more name value than productionist players, but I think they're worth noting. Uh, Kurt Rambis in 1988, the uh, the expansion year, he actually did come as a free agent though. Uh, and Robert Parrish, 1994, leaving the Celtics for the Hornets at that point were you know looking like a young, young up and coming team with uh, Alonzo Mourning and uh, Larry Johnson, you know, and some uh, uh, the very very fun uh, team, and you know had sort of a look into popularity at that point. Um, and then after that, um, that era kind of fell apart to uh, Bobby Phils and David Wesley in 97, probably not quite uh, there on this list, but uh, definitely were uh, up there. Uh, Derek Coleman in uh, 1998, uh, he'd averaged uh, 17 and 10 for Philly in the uh, previous season. So, uh, you know, he was not seen as a superstar at this point, but was still seen as a productive player. 
Uh, and then a couple for the actually we do have one Bobcat on here. I, I was uh, I, I was mistaken. We have Al Jefferson from uh, 2013. He was uh, a Bobcat for one year, I believe, and then became a Hornet for the rest of his uh, tenure there. You know, led them to their first playoff appearance in in quite a while. And uh, even though it didn't work out, they got smashed pretty well by the Heat. They had uh, you know he, he brought them definitely some respectability, and you know was was their big star when they had the name change. And the other uh, big star when they became the Hornets again, Lance Stevenson, 2014, which. Uh, <laughs> worked out pretty disastrously for the team but that was definitely seen as a big deal uh for them he was seen as a you know pretty big get and a guy who could you kind of fill the missing piece for them in terms of you know um you know, some ball handling, some defense, you know, all that, uh, all the encore stuff that he was supposed to do would have fit pretty well, but he forgot how to shoot for like a year and a half and, uh, ended up, uh, being, you know, one of the bigger, more disastrous uh, signings, uh, in modern NBA history for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The Stevens one at the time I fell for it as well. I thought, Hey, you know, if his kind of shot creation can work well next to Kimba Walker and, um, you know, if he can bring what he did in Indiana onto this team and yeah, new look and everything is like, we were all kind of fooled by that. And, um, like you said, it was, it was a total disaster. I mean, it just, uh, about as bad of a free agent signing as there has been in the uh, last four or five years. But yeah, the Al Jefferson one, I thought I, I, yeah, I, I forgot how big that was at the time. Um, that it was like, wow, someone wants to go to Charlotte, you know? And I think that was one of the first ones where like the Michael Jordan influence, like really, uh, played a role. Um, I remember him kind of citing that and also they offered him the most money, which, you know, as, as a human being, that makes sense. But, um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, and I, I do remember that first playoff series. Like, oh, this is cool. This may be a team that can kind of build for the future. And that was the series where LeBron had the uh, dunk where he's looking at Michael Jordan kind of out of the, the side of his eye. And, uh, you know, I thought, ah, you know, maybe this will be kind of a another little team that can be one of, like, LeBron's punching bags. And they couldn't even be that. So, uh, oh, well. No, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, well. Well. Uh, yeah, what you can do. I, I would say that Jefferson's probably the, the clear choice here. Um, you know, the, the others kind of had some name value, but in terms of being a productive player and, um, you know, relatively in their prime, I think I think Jefferson would, would be number one for yep, me. Yep, I agree. Um, yeah, and I think, yeah, this, this history is weird. I think if I have it right, isn't it, is it not, I think it's 88 to 2002 and then 04 to now is the technical Charlotte Hornets history, yet... Oh, three, I think to now is the Bobcat or the Pelicans. It's yeah, it's very bizarre. I remember when I had, when I had to do that yes. for my, uh, franchise rankings on, on my site, I just thought, okay, this is, this is a very strange way to do this. There's like a missing year for the, for the, uh, Hornets, but uh, but yeah, this is this is a good way to do it too, and I think it, it, for both teams, I think Al Jefferson would probably win. Well, I don't know, I guess Peja, that's probably more of a toss up than I than I think, but um, yeah, yeah, I, I guess I would, yeah, that, that's interesting because I think Peja was closer. I, I think he had the higher peak at, at you know, and he was probably really relatively close. Yeah, to it, yeah, so, I guess Peja um, would still win that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, I, I, I would, yeah, but I would say I mean, if it's reasonably well, you know, the uh, New Orleans version is, you know, is, is Peja, and yeah, the the Charlotte version I think would be. Yeah, would be, that makes sense. So, Our next team here is uh, a little easier to determine who the winner is. <laughs> Uh, yes, it is. In fact, uh, obviously the the Miami Heat, uh, LeBron James and 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 Chris Bosh, obviously LeBron being the big one in uh, in 2010. Uh, that is clearly, you know, without a doubt, uh, probably the the biggest free agent signing in uh, NBA history. Uh, probably LeBron has two of the top five for sure. So. Um, not much doubt there. The, the only really other notable ones I, I thought were Lamar Odom in uh, 2003 coming from the Clippers. Um, and then Antoine Walker in 2005 coming in a very, very complex uh, sign in trade. Uh, and even Walker was more of, um, I mean, he was a name and he had come from, um, 
you know, he become kind of as a star player from the Celtics and was, you know, sort of transitioning into like the second phase of his career as more of a role player. Actually, did, did pretty well at, at that. Better than I think anyone would kind of anticipated him uh, doing at least for you know a couple years as they won the championship in '06. Yeah, I think his uh, his you know theoretical spacing, if not uh, he wasn't quite as effective as a three point shooter as he days he was as a Celtic, but um, his theoretical spacing helped you know clear the paint for Shaq and D Wade and those guys. And uh, and yeah, I think he was much better about just playing a role rather than having to be the guy or anything like that. Um, and also, I, I can't remember if we mentioned this earlier. Or, or you and I even talked about this, but we did not include um, buyout candidates, just so everyone knows, uh, you know, in the mid-season kind of signings and things like that. And also guys who maybe opted out of the contract, but then re-signed with that same team. Um, so if anybody has like gotten to this point in the list, like, oh, where's this guy? Where's this guy? That's That might be part of it as well. Right. Yeah, we did not do, you know, re-signing your own players did not count in this. And most of the mid-season buyout type things, I like I don't, you know, if if you were bought out by another team, there's probably a reason right. why you were, you know, not, it, you're, you're unlikely to have been, you know, you may have been once a very good player, you're, you're a helpful role player, but this is not, it isn't quite the same as that. So, but that also good to note in case anyone was confused about that. But uh, next we have Dallas Mavericks. And uh, I, I was surprised that there were very, not really notable eight well 80s i guess is understandable because it's really not until 88 where there are a lot of free agents but uh no, no none really in the 90s and they were a pretty miserable team in the 90s yeah. so i guess that sort of makes sense but uh, honestly their their history of attracting free agents is more limited than i had sort of expected uh, uh the key players um tim hardaway in uh, 2001 after his uh, you know great miami heat years he went to the uh, mavericks and and did, didn't really uh, thrive there he was probably, i think in his early 30s by then and obviously he's a smaller point guard usually that doesn't work out so well um um, Sean Marion in uh, 2009, after he, of course, he spent most of his career with the Suns, then I went kind of bounced around with the Heat and the Raptors before ending up with the uh, Mavericks, and we, of course, became a very important part of their championship team in 2011. And uh, Chandler Parsons in 2014, again, coming from the... Um, Coming from the Houston Rockets to uh, to go to the um, to go to the Mavericks, and that, that was a that was definitely a big signing at the time. Uh, yeah, I, this is kind of a toss up to me. I I, I don't know because um, I, I I think uh, Marion is the best player of these players uh, overall. Uh, Parsons at the time I think may have been, because he was younger may have been seen as as the bigger catch, but that, that's a tough one for me. Yeah, I I I think Marion. Um, I, I think yeah. It's weird for a team who, who since their their title in 2011, has kind of like prided themselves on the rolling over their cap space to like use in free agency. They don't really have anyone of note to uh, to brag about. Um, but Parsons, I guess, kind of was that one win. Uh, Chandler, Max, or nothing, bitch. Uh, Parsons um, is uh, yeah. I guess like their one thing to show from that, which that only lasted two years. So yeah, I, I would lean Marion. Um, I mean, at that point, you know, multiple time All Star and and uh, yeah, bigger name. And and then you know, I guess if our tiebreaker is what did they do with the team, then I guess that has to go to Marion too. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would say, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I, I think it's close, but I think Marion probably, uh, probably beats it. But I could kind of see, uh, either way. Next, we have the uh, the Jazz uh, began, of course, in New Orleans, and uh, then later went to, uh, of course, have been in Utah forever. Uh, but honestly, their two of their most interesting signings were in New Orleans, uh, and one of the very, very first key uh, free agent signings, Gail Goodrich from the uh, Lakers in 1976. And, uh, of course, as we mentioned earlier, this was during the days of uh, compensation and the Jazz were forced to give up several, uh, were forced to give up several, uh, huge uh, draft picks, which, um, uh, which, which was, um, 
which one of which led to them losing out on a chance to draft uh, Magic Johnson in 1980. So this ended up not being a, a very good uh, deal for the Jazz. Although at the time, it made some sense to pair uh, pair up Goodrich and um, and Pete Maravich together. That that was a backcourt that was definitely very interesting and uh, you know had some really good uh, potential on it. And, and when they were actually on the court together, it actually did work fairly well. They, they but uh, but Goodrich. Uh, suffered a pretty serious knee injury, and of course was not quite the same. Maravich dealt with injuries too, so uh, so, so that wasn't uh, you know um, it wasn't the worst idea in the world. But given what they had to give up at the time, and and you know it was the first year for compensation, so there was not really a great uh, baseline for what a team would have to give up for a uh, player. So uh, you know it's uh, hard to blame the Jazz entirely on that, but obviously that was that's something that derailed them for quite a long time. They didn't make the playoffs until the mid '80s. Uh, probably you know a large amount of account on that, and they had to leave New Orleans because they couldn't field a successful team for so uh, struggled with that uh also uh, in the 70s truck robinson 1977 coming from at, uh coming from uh I, i'm i think it was atlanta where he came from and i think he later went to phoenix but uh in terrific rebounder actually had a uh, i believe a first team all nba uh that year um kind of one of those players who kind of did that out of nowhere and you know was kind of a solid player for most of the rest of his career but uh you know was uh you know w- w- for a short time was absolute beast and then uh Carlos Boozer in 2004 this one's sort of been uh, forgotten but it was hugely controversial at the time because uh, they basically had a wink wink deal with the uh Cavs to let him out of his um a relatively small deal so that the that the Cavs would be able to sign him with the money that they had and then Boozer ended up going to Utah for a much larger amount of money that the Cavs were unable to uh, pay so there were some uh, accusations of their dealings at the uh, time but uh, Boozer of course had you know, some great success with the uh, the Jazz over the next few seasons yeah the, the Boozer one I remember being being very strange because it was it was clearly seen after that first year of him and LeBron playing together like hey this could really be you know this could really be a nice combo kind of to move forward with and grow old grow old together and right. LeBron really never got that player with within his first in Cleveland that was kind of like a peer um of his that he could kind of you know grow old with and so I think this, you know it's one of those what ifs like you know might be a slightly alternate you know history if he if he would have stayed but uh yeah that was a big deal for Jess yeah absolutely yeah I I uh I would guess Boozer probably would be the I, I don't know maybe Boozer or Goodrich um I, you know Goodrich was was older at that point as a player um you know, Robinson was, he, he was very, very young. And I guess he, they were much shorter peaks, but he had, he had the larger peak, uh, I guess the, 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 the best season than Boozer ever had with the jazz. So, um, yeah, this was pretty much toss up. I guess we could, we could kind of go with, you know, almost there's a decent argument for any of them. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'll, I'll go Boozer, uh, just, I guess, given, given what they, he lasted the longest of the three. So that, that'll be my tiebreaker. So next we have the, uh, Cavs and, uh, this is, a. Um, Pretty much another uh, slam dunk one. Uh, LeBron James going back in 2014, coming home. Um, really, uh, really no question about this one. The only others of that seem at all significant were um, Scott Wedman in 1981, coming from the uh, Kansas uh, City Kings, and uh, the, uh, the the Cavs had to give up a first round pick uh, for competition. That was one of many first round picks the Cavs were giving up uh, during that time. Uh, the Cavs were very ambitious in this uh, summer. They uh, they were able to add James Edwards, who was a good young player for the Pacers, of course, better known later for being part of the Bad Boy Pistons. Uh, Bob Wilkerson from the Bulls, and they also tried to sign Otis Birdsong from the Kings, but the Kings matched uh, that one, so they were trying to um, 
uh, turn around their team uh, using uh, trying to get some established players. Unfortunately for them, it did not uh, work out uh, that well. Though Wedman was a solid player, was was a uh, multiple time All Star at that point, um, and would later, of course, contribute to the uh, the eighty Celtics. And uh, the other one would be Larry Hughes, uh, an attempt to get uh, LeBron James a uh, backcourt mate that he could um, grow old with. Uh, he um, the the Cavs brought in Larry Hughes. Unfortunately, did not work out very well. Their skills did not fit Purdue. Very well, Hughes declined, you know, at a relatively young age, and uh, not not a not a situation that worked very well. But I guess it put LeBron in a position to leave the team and then come back to the team in 2014. So, yep, <laughs> this go. is a no-brainer. Uh, LeBron again. I think he's going to be our only uh, two-time winner of this uh, of this little award here. So, uh, yeah, this this one was easy. Yeah, there you go. Uh, next, we have the uh, Clippers, um, and not not an illustrious free agent history, as you uh, may not be surprised to uh, learn. Um, and no one really during their Braves days, you know, was was notable necessarily as a uh, as a free agent. Um, they had a couple in 1979 after they had moved to uh, San Diego. Uh, the the big one being Bill Walton, and obviously uh, he was a former MVP. But had um, you know, been out for about a year and a half because of uh, of, of serious knee and foot uh, injuries at that point. Uh, but was yeah, obviously seen as uh, there there was uh, I I don't know I mean he, I think there was some it wasn't like it was just like hope like okay he can be healthy I think there was some thought at the time that okay this stuff is behind him he can be a good player and then as he soon dealt with injuries early on that season there was some realization of oh no this is you know going to be a much longer issue for him but at the time I think it was seen like okay yeah they're bringing this guy in of course uh Walton from San Diego you know coming home um all that good stuff that that was huge for him they also had Brian Taylor that year who was a a veteran who'd been part of some championship teams with the uh, Nets um and actually oddly declared himself a free agent during his uh, first year with the uh, Nuggets. He had kind of a kind of dispute with them and it was kind of eventually settled by going to the Clippers and getting a um and the the Nuggets getting some competition back. Uh only other really notable free agent I think would be uh Baron Davis in uh, 2008. You know, he was uh, obviously a big star coming from the we believe Clippers at that point. And, uh, you know, was expected a team with Elton Brand and, uh, you know, uh, put to NBA, you know, a fairly solid uh, Clippers team in the late 2000s. Unfortunately, Elton Brand uh, decided he wanted to go elsewhere, went to uh, Philly, and Barron was left to be taunted by uh, Davis, uh, excuse me, Donald Sterling at, uh, at courtside. Yeah, yeah, that, that Barron Davis one was big at the time. I mean, yeah, you talk about that We Believe Warriors team being uh, so fun. And that, and even that 08 Warriors team barely missed the playoffs. So it wasn't like they had a disastrous season. I mean, he was still a very good player, a very productive player. And, um, yeah, I mean, what? Walton, in terms of name, certainly would 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 take the uh, the cake here. But even at that point, there had already been the injury concerns. So um, yeah, I mean, probably Walton wins this one. But Baron Davis was a big deal. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely a big deal. Uh, the Blazers, not really a a huge free agent history. Uh, it's kind of some notable ones were um, Rod Strickland in 1992 and uh, and, and Kenny Anderson in uh, 1996. Uh, Kenny Anderson coming from the um, uh, coming from the Hornets after he played mostly with the uh, Nets, and uh, he ended up being traded, uh, I believe, a year and a half later in the Damon Sotomayor deal, so not really a long-lasting uh, situation there. Uh, for Strickland, he had come from the uh, the, the, the Spurs and uh, played for the Knicks, I believe, as well. So I, he, he was more kind of seen as, like, you know, young potential-type uh, player and, you know, was, was ended up kind of being more of, like, a solid point guard. But, yeah, honestly, neither one of these guys were, uh, you know, particularly notable or, or particularly lasted uh, super long with their uh, franchise. I, th- I think uh, I would say Anderson may have been slightly the bigger star at the uh, time, but... But it's uh, it's very much a toss up. The, and the Blazers have not really, you know, they've acquired.
acquired most of their guys through the uh, draft or through trades, but you know, for agents really have not come to Portland uh, in general. Yeah, and the ones that have have not really worked out. So uh, yeah, I think I think you know uh, the Rod Strickland one was kind of a hey, let's bring him in. It's actually the only season of his career where he played shooting guard was that first season, you know, until Terry Porter moved on, and then it was a uh, uh, time for for him to kind of take the reins as the as the primary point guard. But uh, yeah, either one, neither one is a, is a massive deal, and that just kind of goes to show you, um, not every uh, city is a free agent destination. As much as I love Portland, um, not everyone does. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's notable because obviously they're, they've been a pretty successful franchise during their uh, time, but it's just, it's odd, yeah, that they've had relatively lack, uh, lacking in terms of, you know, signing, uh, bring, bringing free agents there. Perhaps they'll, they will find success uh, eventually. You never know. But uh, another city that has not exactly uh, had the uh, the lore of some of the uh, great free agents, uh, Milwaukee with the Bucks. Uh, they their most notable are Moses Malone in 1991, very late in, into his career. Uh, Anthony Mason in 2001, joining a team that had made the uh, Eastern Conference Finals um, and kind of unfortunately ruining their chemistry basically, and uh, leading that team to be broken up. And uh, and Greg Monroe in 2015, who was you know kind of seen as one of their first big free agents in quite a while, ended up doing okay there off the bench although i think was was hoped hoped to be a bigger star uh when he came in i think Giannis uh developing so fast and becoming such a, such a big star you know kind of uh, led you know monroe put him in sort of a different situation there but yeah um I, the, that this one's another one where the options are not you know all that terrific i would say yeah no i mean the greg monroe thing i remember just being significant because he kind of spurned the knicks and the Lakers. you know it was like oh wow like you know this is a guy you know not signing with one of the big markets and signing with milwaukee like this is the new nba but uh you know we look back and we're like oh greg monroe that doesn't make a lot of sense to make you know a big bunch of noise about that one right yeah exactly yeah i i, I guess moses just historically being the, the the great player uh that he was maybe maybe the winner here by default but again the 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 choices here are not, uh, not outstanding. Uh, slightly better circumstances, though, the uh, Phoenix Suns. Uh, of course, as we talked about earlier, the uh, the very first unrestricted free agent, Tom Chambers in 1988, coming from the uh, Sonics. Uh, and, you know, was a, a driving force for, you know, their great success in the late 80s and early 90s. They're a team that you know, was looking to make a huge turnaround after they'd had some drug scandals in the late 80s and, um, you know, moved away from, you know, some of the Walter Davis and some of their, you know, stars they'd had for the last decade or so. Alvin Adams had retired. You know, they were kind of, kind of a new guard coming in. They would get Kevin Johnson and, you know, have some really good seasons before Chambers would leave and they'd bring in Charles Barkley. Uh, Danny Manning, 1994, uh, coming from the uh, the Hawks uh, after he spent most of his career with the Clippers, um, signing for a very cheap uh, one-year deal before signing a longer-term uh, contract uh, afterward. Uh, Penny Hardaway, 1999, uh, was signing trade after uh, things had gone sour with the Orlando Magic. And uh, and I, I think the, the, probably the clear winner, well, I don't, we'll talk about this, I guess. Uh, Steve Nash, 2004, I think be, obviously became the most significant free agent they signed, but how it was seen at the time, that, that might be questionable. I think, uh, you, you know, he was certainly a star. He played some really good years with the uh, Mavericks, but he was, uh, you know, in his late 20s or maybe even 30 at that point and was, uh, you know, there, there was some question as to whether he would really be able to, uh, you know, uh, hold up, much less, obviously, I don't think anyone expected MVP-type form coming from him at that point. No, yeah, I, yeah, I think if you look at this, you, you just look at the four names and you think, oh, yeah, obviously, Nash, but uh, that Penny Hardaway one was huge at the time, and, I mean, Nash... Knowing what we know now, I mean that that signing really kind of changed offensive basketball in the NBA as we know it. So it's like obviously that one pretty big deal. But uh, but at the time, you know, he was up, he was an all star player and a and a player that you know oh this you know really fills a need, especially as they'd moved on from Marbury. But um, but yeah, the, I think the Penny Hardaway one might at in the moment actually win this one for me. Okay, yeah, um, 
Uh, yeah, the Chambers one was a big That's deal true. too. I mean, yeah. he he was obviously yeah. I mean, he was he was a pretty big. You know, he'd been I think MVP of the All Star game that year before, and was you know was a pretty good big star for Seattle. You know, just coming into his prime was great forward. You know, I mean, he was. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, he, he he was very marketable. I think at the time too. You know, um, so yeah, it's it, it's a tough. I think it's awesome. I mean, I, I, I would say Hardaway. I would agree with you in Hardaway, but if, if it had not already been for like the the knee concerns that were that he was dealing with already, I mean, I don't. It wasn't at that point obviously seen as though a thing that was definitely guaranteed going to derail him, but it it was an issue at the time, so that that maybe you know causes some slight downgrade for me, but it. But it's close. I, I, I think um, I think you could say, yeah, I, I honestly, I think any of the three of Chambers, Hardaway or even Nash, I think, um, you know, could, could be called for this one. It, it, that, that one's a really tough one to say. Yeah. And, and even Danny Manning was an all star right before they signed him. So, yeah, uh, Phoenix, actually a better track right. record than, than you would expect on some of these free agents. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, next, we have the Nets and uh, pretty uh, another uh, not so good track record here. Uh, Orlando Woolrich in 1987, um, and uh, you know he was he had, had been dealing with, uh, with with substance abuse problems and and dealing with you know being on the Bulls you know before Michael Jordan got there there was some hope that you know he would be able to pair with Jordan to be a great player but was not a good fit and had dealt with the problems that he was dealing with so he was uh, shipped out for a number of draft picks and w- was brought to uh, the Nets as an attempt to uh, start over. Which did not work out particularly well. Um, and then another one that's easy to forget about: Alonzo Mourning in two thousand and three. Uh, you know, he had you know, of course, been a huge star with the Heat, and then dealt with um, his 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 kidney disease that kept him out of the NBA uh, for a while. And he was making his comeback and signed a you know a, a lucrative deal with the Nets. And this was you know right after the Nets were coming off of you know finals appearances you know, with Jason Kidd there and we're, we're kind of just, you know, a really good big man away from maybe, you know, um, possibly, you know, in a series against Shaq, maybe Alonzo Mourning, you know, could have, uh, you know, not stopped him necessarily, but contained him a little bit more than, you know, some of the other parade of guys that they were bringing out there. So there was some hope that, hey, maybe um, maybe this is the thing that we need to do to go over the top. And unfortunately, the uh, the health was really not there and that team was about to uh, kind of fall apart anyway. So, uh, uh, so, but, but in terms of how it was seen at the time, I think this definitely, uh, without really any other good options other than Orlando Woolrich, I think this is pretty clearly the winner. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. If you had to guess, I don't know if you've looked at this or not, so maybe this will ruin if you have, but if you had to guess how many games um, Alonzo Morning played for the, for the Nets, what would you guess? Ooh, um, I would guess wow, maybe close, 40. 30, exactly 30. Okay. Oh, there you go. Okay, yeah, I, I yeah, because of course he was part of the uh, Vince Carter trade yep. a couple years later, I believe. So, um, yes, so that so that was uh, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, that, that was that uh, not, not a good number, obviously. Um, uh, so next we have the uh, Denver Nuggets and um, uh, sort of a mix of guys uh, here. They had um, they had Walter Davis in uh, 1988. Uh, Dale Ellis in 1994, uh, Antonio McDyess in 1998, uh, very interesting story, which we could do in a second, uh, Andre Miller in uh, 2003, and Paul Millsap in uh, 2017. Um, and, I, and I would say McDyess or Millsap would definitely be the the two that I would think of here as, as the biggest ones. Uh, McDyess, of course, played a year with the Suns after being traded from the Nuggets and then was wooed back by the Nuggets, uh, signing a, an extremely lucrative deal. Uh, there were the stories of the uh, Suns uh, 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 being... Um, kept out of the uh of the arena of of denver barricading the arena to keep mcdice in there to uh, sign that uh, deal of some 
crazy shenanigans going on there. Unfortunately, McDice soon uh, suffered a uh, was it ACL injury or it was a pretty serious uh, injury that uh, kind of kept him from reaching his potential as a superstar. But absolutely, at the time, he looked like a young, up and coming, great superstar. And then Millsap is you know was uh, older in his career, but was you know productive, multi time All Star, and uh, you know expected to pair with uh, you know some of their young core to produce a, um, a a playoff team and came very very close to that uh, this season. So there's a lot, of course, there's some time to tell with that. But in, in terms of how it was seen at the time, I, I would say you know the, those are the two that definitely are up there. Yep, yeah, I'd go with McDice on this one. Um, yeah, I think I, I, McDice the injuries are tough because he ended up having, actually having a longer career than people realize, but just much more as a role player, kind of one of those guys that um, lost step and lost the ability to dominate but was still you know just through his own talent able to contribute i, I think antonio dice would have had a very very nice career if not for the injuries oh yeah definitely yeah i mean i i think of a little bit like a like a bob mcadoo without like the obviously the mvp level highs but had like the potential to be you know was was more like a you know second team all nba type player and could have been that for like quite a long time you know i i, I think he was about that good and it absolutely could have been huge for, for sure so so next we have uh, the Houston Rockets and um, uh, the notable names here, uh, Rick Barry, uh, 1978. We're going to have more Rick Barry as we uh, as we get through here because he's pretty important in uh, free agent history. But uh, late in his career, went to the uh, Rockets and was uh, the the Rockets had to send uh, John Lucas, who had been a former number one overall pick, uh, to the uh, the Warriors in exchange. But Barry was expected to um, pair with uh, Moses Malone and uh, Rui Tomjanovich and Calvin Murphy to uh, have a, a contending team didn't quite work out as Barry kind of he was still a solid player but lost a step and was unable to you know bring them over the top there um also Malone dealt with some injuries and didn't help the situation uh, also uh Scottie Pippen in 1998 leaving the championship bulls and joining Charles Barkley and uh, Kim Olajuwon in uh, in Houston uh then moving on to more recent times Jeremy Lin in 2011 kind of uh, this one's in retrospect. This one's obviously uh, funny because uh, you know Lynn didn't end up be- becoming a particularly great player, but uh, absolutely he was one of the the biggest names in the NBA at this point in 2011. As with his you know Lynn Sanity year with the Knicks, and this was absolutely you know a huge uh, deal in you know more cultural terms and popularity terms. And uh, Dwight Howard in 2013, uh, obviously uh, coming from the uh, Lakers, having been you know, just recently an MVP candidate and still, you know, multi-time All-Star, you know, not old uh, in his late 20s at this point. So still, you know, theoretically in his prime, although the, the physical toll, I, which I don't think was 100% apparent at that point, uh, you know, led him to uh, decline earlier than I think people expected. Yeah, I, yeah, the Dwight Howard one was huge. I mean, especially getting a guy to leave L.A., I think was... Uh was seen as, you know, I mean, really kind of historic at that time. Um, you know, there was like, you know, that, that's where everyone kind of wants to get, including Dwight. And then it's like, okay, you have the chance to resign here. And, and he didn't take it. So um, that was big. The Lynn one, that's the classic, you know, poison pill and kind of the, the fear from like Knicks fans that, uh, that they did not resign him after that magical little, you know, kind of half season. Um, I remember, yeah, it was, that was huge at the time, but then the Rockets ended up, uh, I don't know. I don't know if they regret it, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure there was marketing dollars to be made from that, from that signing. But, uh, but yeah, not, not the biggest, I, I think this, actually, I, I would give it to Dwight uh, from this. I think at the time that was seen as a, as a pretty big deal, but 
Rick Barry, that also, it's so funny how archaic, you know, these old free agents, it's like, it's like, oh, you're, they're going to lose a player. Like, that's not fair. We have to give them somebody in return. It's like the ridiculous labor laws. You can't just pick where you want to go play. But, uh, but that's, uh, that was the NBA in the seventies. So, and before, but sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I would go with Pippen. Um, I, it's really close with Pippen and Dwight. I would, um, it's definitely a toss up, but I think that, um, I mean, I think the fact that Pippen had been with, you know, the cha- the Bulls and, and been such a big part of that championship and the, the story of him now trying to win in another place, you know, kind of not exactly on his own, obviously, because there was there was Barkley and, and Olajuwon there. But as like, you know, that kind of the piece there to kind of like prove he could do it without Jordan, I think slightly bigger for me. But uh, but it's very, very close. And I think Dwight is a reasonable choice. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And that also, it, you know, kind of crazy that that, uh, you know, Pippen does that, but actually gets much closer the following year in a, in a different city. But yes. Yeah. Right. So um, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, next, we have the uh, Indiana Pacers, and I think almost completely forgotten Alex English in 1978, who began his career with the uh, Bucks. And this was very much a case of just like a, you know, a, this honestly may be cheating a little bit because it was definitely not seen as a big deal at the time. He was very young, only at average, less than 20 minutes a game for the Bucks that year in 78. Although he did have a bigger role in the 78 playoffs, and, and he had, he had uh, 26 point and 21 point games against the Nuggets of all teams. Uh, of course, he would play four later for many, many years in a, uh, you know, 4 3 series loss. So, um, you know, it was kind of one of these guys. He was just, you know, young and talented and kind of, you know, but. Um, you know, wasn't an important enough part of the team's plans to, uh, you know, to not get poached by a, uh, a different franchise. And, and it was the Pacers, of course, who then would later trade him to Denver in the uh, infamous uh, George McGinnis deal, bringing McGinnis back to the uh, Pacers, which ended up, you know, kind of being disastrous for the uh, uh, the Pacers and losing out on future Hall of Famer um, Alex English. Uh, other names on here, and they're not super notable. Uh, Byron Scott, 1993, uh, of course, leaving the uh, Lakers where he had spent his entire career and going to the uh, Pacers and you know helping out a, a bit with uh, you know some of their mid 90s teams. He was a good role player. This is more of a name than, than the on court uh, production. Uh, Al Harrington in 2006 coming back from the uh, Hawks in a sign trade after he began his career with the uh, Pacers. And uh, I, I think probably my choice for the winner here, David West in 2011 joining the uh, you know, Paul George, uh, Roy Hibbert uh, Hawks uh, ending up being, uh, you know, uh, I, I think was a, you know, a, a fairly big name at the time. Of course, had some really good years with the uh, Hornets. So and was still, you know, uh, young enough to, to be productive, but was also you know big leader on that team. I, I think in somewhat similar to Oakley with with the Raptors in 99, but probably even better on court uh, production at that point. From yeah. West is my winner here too. Um, and I remember the, the, the other team that West kind of seriously considered signing with is the Celtics at that time. Um, and that would get, maybe would have prolonged their uh, little run a, a, a bit longer, but, uh, but yeah, but the Pacers, it was just, I remember being a natural fit. It's like, that was their position of need found this guy, slot him right in and they immediately, you know, have three really good seasons in a row. So uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's my winner as well. So we'll see Alex English when you're, when you're talking about that, it's reminding me of, you know, we'll see, I, I think GMs are, are maybe slightly smarter than this and, I'm not trying to compare Alex English to this guy, but uh, but Terry Rozier, you know, uh, kind of upcoming restricted free agent and uh, having really big games in the playoffs and uh, extended role due to injury. Let's see if uh, anybody jumps at that and maybe offers him more than he uh, perhaps should get, similar to Alex English in '78. Yeah, that's that's a good. I think that's a fair comparison. That, that that's kind of a a, a good one to uh, to to look at. So next we have the uh, Sonics and Thunder franchise. It's sort of an interesting uh, NBA history, NBA free agent history. I, I guess interesting NBA history with them as well, but uh, particularly in free agency. Um, 
they have one of the most notable uh, free agent uh, signings of all time in uh, Spencer Haywood in 1970, defected from the uh, ABA, uh, went uh, was not even eligible to be in the NBA because he was not of draft age, of course, filed a uh, lawsuit to uh, get that rule changed and uh, was uh, basically uh, attempts to made to disqualify him from games to because he was not an eligible player and, and so on and so forth, but he was obviously had a big impact on uh, the NBA and the ABA in general and uh, and was a very was an excellent player as well uh, for uh, his time in uh, Seattle despite having issues here and there but um, definitely a huge one uh, the other guys on this list uh, Gus Williams uh, from 1977 coming from the Golden State Warriors became a very important player of course in their uh, in their championship team I, I think at the time it was it was less significant um, he, he was you know a, g- a good young player potentially could be good uh, it, maybe a little bit like Alex English where um, you know it was was up and coming but was you know a lower level player on the Warriors but got his shot with the uh, Sonics and obviously became a big star during that time. Uh, and then for the uh, Thunder, um, uh, Nainai Kristic and uh, in 2008, and Patrick Patterson in uh, 2017 are <laughs> the Thunder not known for uh, high-level free agent signings. Uh, Derek Fisher also, I guess, could be included on this uh, list. So uh, I don't know if you were if you were separating the Sonics and Thunder. I uh, I, I think Haywood's a pretty clear choice for the uh, Sonics. For the uh, the Thunder, I am less clear on that. Yeah, I think yeah, I think Haywood's got to take this one. I, and I think that that uh, that stretch there, you know, 08 to, to 2017, or I guess you know, you say 2016 when KD left, um, is really kind of indicative as to why that team, you know, partially never got over the hump. It's like that, you know, they drafted so well. It's kind of the gift and curse of drafting so well. It's like they kind of were married to that group and never really added that other piece, whether through a free agency or trade, that um, kind of got them over the hump, especially after the Harden trade. So I think that's a kind of indicative of, of uh, some of their failings as an organization. That Patrick Patterson and Nenad Kristich are their two biggest signings in that era. Right. Yeah. And Chris probably could have worked out better, you know, had he given better health. That was kind of the, you know, obstacle for yeah, him. Yeah. Um, he seemed like a fairly good signing at the time, actually. But um, yeah, I guess Patterson would have been the bigger star. So for just saying Thunder only, I would say Patterson is the, is the biggest one. But um, yeah, but overall in this group, if you're taking the franchise history together, which honestly you should, uh, they're out of the same franchise, then I would say uh, I would say Haywood would be um, involved there. Uh, next, your favorite team, the uh, Spurs. Um not really much in the uh, 90s despite their uh, great success there at least at least none that i uh, was able to dig into but uh starting in uh, 2000 there's Derek anderson who was uh um was helpful for them uh, briefly uh, was kind of seen as like an up-and-coming rising star didn't really last there in uh, san antonio uh 2001 these are more in retrospect not necessarily huge at the time but bruce bowen obviously became a great player for them stephen jackson was helpful for uh you know their 2001 a championship before moving on to other franchises um and then robert ori at 2003 coming from the uh, lakers and providing some uh, big shots as he was uh apt to do for the uh the sonics through the uh, mid mid 2000s and uh but probably the winner on this list uh lamarcus aldridge in uh, 2015 coming over from the blazers was you know a uh a star level player at the time you know pretty you know all-star pretty all-star type guy you know um second third team all nba type player probably you know in terms of 
uh, stardom at the time, I think definitely, I think this is a fairly clear one to me. Yep, no question, LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, That's a big deal at the time. So much so that the Spurs have had such little, not even success, they just don't really, they just didn't really do it. Um, Going after kind of big free agents like that, um, that it it was kind of seen as like, oh, is this like the Spurs going against their roots? You know, in San Antonio, there are definitely people who were like, I don't like that this is the direction people are going, which is crazy, but um, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, we, we just, we're the built, not bought, you know, thing. That was kind of the, the uh, prevailing thought at the time, but also, you know, the, the smart side of the fans were, oh, I'm excited we have a really good player on our team now. Um, Derek Anderson was bigger, I think, that people realized at the time. That was like uh, Spurs, you know, 99, coming off a championship, 2000. Duncan gets hurt, misses the playoffs, and, you know, they lose in the first round. Um, and the Derek Anderson signing, people thought, hey, you know, here's this, like, young athletic wing that can, like, really help, you know, help the Spurs. And then and then he got hurt in the playoffs. Jawan Howard just leveled him on a play. Um, and then really, really just did not not having that guy against the Lakers was uh, was a huge deal in that, in that uh, Western Conference Finals that season. So, um, yeah, Derek Anderson was a big one, but this is easily Lamarcus Aldridge. Robert Ory, by the way, that one, so he signs in 2003. The Lakers, or the Spurs had just beaten the Lakers in the 03 playoffs. He signs with the Spurs, and then the Lakers beat the Spurs in the 04 playoffs thanks to the Derek Fisher point four shot. So I'm sure at that time, Ori was thinking, you know, what, what did I do here? Uh, but then the following year, he gets his moment in the uh, 2005 finals that uh, everyone remembers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, plus, plus an 07, you know, knocking a Steve yes, Nash to the a game, a game I was in attendance yes. for. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I do oh, remember that go. one fondly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, next, we have the Chicago Bulls, and uh, very early one that I think is interesting, uh, Larry Keenan, who had been a uh, star for the uh, Spurs and also on uh, with the uh, with the Nets in the ABA, and um, you know, came on, uh, was a shooting guard, uh, played well for the uh, Bulls. They actually had a pretty big turnaround from being about a 30-win team to a 45-win team. They um, also had... Uh, Artist Gilmore and they had you know, Reggie Theus, you know, were, were actually you know, some nice talent there. Um, um, Jerry Sloan was their coach. It looked like you know, this was definitely the high watermark between, you know, the, of course, those those great uh, early 70s, you know, Chet Walker, uh, Norm Van Leer, uh, Jerry Sloan teams, and of course, the, the, the Jordan teams later. This was kind of the, the, the peak for there, and, and Keenan was kind of a big deal for uh, that time. Um, other notable names, uh, Ron Harper in 94, of course, that became more significant as when Jordan came back. Uh, Brent Berry in 98 uh, was the, the first big free agent, post-Jordan free agent signing that they had. Um, ben Wallace in uh, 2006, come, coming along from the uh, from the, the uh, Pistons, uh, the, the, joining, the, uh, j- joining the rival Bulls. Uh, and then Carlos Boozer in, in 2010 and Dwayne Wade in, uh, in 2016, I think, were the... Uh, were the other choices so yeah i, I, I mean boozer i mean boozer was a big deal in 2010 for sure um and he you know he was a he was a star and coming along that huge free agent summer and you know that, that he was obviously more of a uh the consolation prize for lebron but that was definitely you know kind of seen as a, a chance for them to uh you know adding a a, a good complimentary star who was gonna you know help them compete with with the heat and you know and and with with rose is this of course is their big star and uh and then wade i think was more just a name and obviously having the chicago um you know um being from Chicago and uh, you know coming from the Heat, the surprise of that—that that was a big name type thing. But in terms of expected on-court impact, I don't think that was as big. Um, 
I, I, I would say Ben Wallace here probably, but you know, I, I, I can be convinced otherwise. Yeah, I, I was leaning Ben Wallace myself. Um, but Boozer, yeah, Boozer Wallace. I guess it was it was a little bit more clear that that he was slightly on the on the downside at that point. Although you know he come off a of, obviously a run of Defensive Player of the Year awards, but um, it was obviously like that wasn't going to continue. You know, whereas Boozer was more in the prime, and it was I think maybe fit that team's need a little more. Um, and yeah, just kind of slotted right into that power four position. And really, you know, his first year was the best one, and, and then it kind of faded after that. So um, I think it's down to those two. Uh, you can kind of flip a coin for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Wallace maybe slightly. I mean, they, he was kind of expected to, you know, because they, they had a pretty good young team there, you know, with uh, with with Ben Gordon and um, you know, Tyson Chandler, you know, uh, so some good young stars. You know, Wallace was kind of bet, meant to kind of come in there and bring the veteran toughness and rebounding and stuff and still great defense. And, yeah, he, he faded kind of quickly. Um, and like I said, the fit was not particularly good um, there. But I think in terms of like the, the stardom at the time, I think I think I would place Wallace slightly over uh, Booster. And fine, fine with me. But yes. Uh, next, we have the Bulletin Wizards franchise, and uh, only a few names here, but they are notable: Bob Dandridge, nineteen seventy-seven, coming from the um, coming from the Bucks, who had of course been part of the early seventies championship teams, and joining a, a team that was uh, poised for another couple finals appearances and one championship, and was, he was a very very key component in that. Uh, kind of the James Worthy of his time, you know, a good complimentary third star, you know, very good defender, all, all, clutch shots, all that good stuff. Um, Bernard Kane, 1997, after the uh, after the terrific, horrific knee injury, um, coming from the Knicks and joining the Bullets and having some you know, productive uh, scoring years there. And then uh, Gilbert Arenas in 2003, um, created a new provision in the uh, CBA that uh, on for second round picks, but uh, was able to uh, basically the guy who turned the Wizards around after they'd had you know mediocrity for the most part for two decades was you know led to some exciting uh, teams in the uh, mid 2000s, even though things did not end there particularly well to say the least. But uh, uh, but yeah, um, I have a tough time with this. I, I would say between Dandridge and Arenas, uh, both very impactful in different ways. Yeah, yeah, really, really. They, I mean, they all three have a case in a different way. I mean, Bernard King was, you know, I guess essentially the biggest name at the time, but the knee injury, I think everybody kind of knew that, that was not ever going to be the same. And Arenas probably had the most and, and the longest impact uh, post his signing. But yeah, I, I would probably lean Dandridge. Uh, just given how good that team was and how good you know he was at the time, uh, just kind of fit perfectly. It's like the, the signing that made the most sense at the time. I don't think people expected as much out of Arenas as, as he ended up giving them. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he was more like, okay, young player who potentially could be great or could be very good, and they end up you know, exceeding that quite a bit and becoming you know like a fairly big star. But that was, yeah, I don't think that was necessarily a realistic outcome in 03. So, um, yeah, it's, I might lean toward Arenas, but I, you, I could definitely see um, either way. For the for the Hawks, we have um, a handful of choices. Uh, uh, Dan Roundfield in uh, 1978, uh, coming from the uh, Pacers, was a pretty big star during the time, a couple-time All-Star, uh, kind of forgotten about today. Uh, Moses Malone, 1988, uh, joining after a stint with the Bullets. You know, he was a few years away from his MVP form, but was still very productive. You know, I, I think there was some some thought there of you know him joining with Dominic Wilkins and the other incumbent Hawks. See you know, that that was something that could kind of take them over the top. Didn't really work out for them, but was big at the time. Uh, Dikembe Mutombo, 1996. Uh, I, I think the you know, coming from the uh, Nuggets and leading to a you know, pretty good run in the late 90s for the Hawks as well. I think he was the key component in that. And then uh, Joe Johnson in uh, 2005. You know, was uh, came from the uh, Suns after you know he'd been part of the uh, six seconds or eight seconds or less era, excuse me, and um, 
and, and some some obviously led to some good years for them, eventually getting back to the playoffs and having a pretty long stint. And uh, Paul Millsap in 2013 uh, only signed a small deal. I, I think he was um, – it was something that ended up being much bigger than I think people were expecting at the time. They thought he was a good player, but then he ended up just kind of getting better in his early 30s and becoming you know, very productive for the Hawks, helping them their 61 season and you know and, and all that. I, this this one's yeah, it is. I, it is kind and, of a tough uh, yeah, one. For sorry, me. I don't want to be the, the the that guy, but I believe it's the seven seconds or less ones. But I I would I would lead. <laughs> I think you said six and eight, didn't you? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh, six and eight. Uh, I did. You're right. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know what I was. The truth thinking. is always somewhere in between. <laughs> Thank but, you for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was leaning exactly. to yes. Kemba Matumbo, um, but yeah, but he had not reached kind of his heights yet. So I, I guess, I guess Matumbo would be my choice because you know he he at least had a, an NBA moment that you know that that '94 team and um and and certainly kind of changed the fortune of the Hawks. And that was another one. It's like you know, people don't really usually sign with the Hawks, so um that was uh, kind of a big one that that kind of swung it swung their perception at least a little bit. But but Millsap Millsap uh, given I think if we did more like a his production given what they paid him, you know he, he'd win that battle. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I would go with Matumbo as well. I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, he was definitely the biggest star at the time. Like Joe was, you know, like he was a like kind of again more like an upcoming player who potentially could have been big, and then he ended up having you know long streak of all stars, and it was a, a very very good uh, player for the team. But um, yeah, I would say Matumbo. Obviously, the impact was more short term, but he was I think he was the biggest star that they were able to attract, given at that point in their career. Uh, next, we have the Sixers. Uh, we have uh, George McGinnis, 1975, coming from the uh, ABA, signing as a free agent. There was a huge dispute with him and the uh, over the between the Sixers and the Knicks over McGinnis. Eventually, the Sixers were able to win that battle. Uh, Moses Malone, 1982. This was a basically Malone signed an offer sheet. The Rockets were, I think, they technically they did match, but then they ended up working out a sign and trade with the. Um, uh, with the Sixers getting a first round draft pick and uh, Caldwell Jones out of it. And uh, Malone, of course, leading the team to the 83 uh, championship, winning another MVP. And then uh, Elton Brand in uh, 2008, we alluded to this earlier when talking about Baron Davis with the uh, Clippers. But um, yeah, I think he's the, the most notable recent one that they have, um, they've been able to get. Who, who knows what will happen uh, this year with the the, lot, the cap space they have and all the uh, all the great young players that they have, but uh, at this moment, um, I, I I mean I you know I I think pretty much there's no question about this with Moses Malone in A two is is definitely the biggest one they had. McGinnis was certainly a big deal as well, and he would you know, had been a uh, MVP for the uh, ABA, but I think uh, yeah, I, there's definitely really no problems there. Did for them. Uh, next, we have the, the Pistons. Um, some okay choices here, but uh, like uh, you know. Um, Brian Williams, Bison Deli, 1997, um, and uh, Ben Gordon, Shelley Villanueva in 2009, Josh Smith in 2014, all were seen as relatively significant level uh, signings, but the, the clear winner here, Chauncey Billups in 2002, you know, was, uh, I, I think, you know, a cut above these guys in terms of what he'd done for the Wolves and obviously would accomplish much more, you know, would, would, would gain a lot more, but considering what he was at the time, I think, you know, this is not a illustrious list in terms of what they were seen as at, the, yep, at that no time. And I think um, yeah, I, the Gordon Villanueva one, too, especially that, that was kind of seen as like a, hey, we have all this cap space, like we're going to sign these two guys, and Gordon was just coming off that ridiculous series against the Celtics um, in the first or 2009 first round. So I think people thought like, hey, this is a way for this Pistons team to kind of like start that next era and uh, boy did that backfire yeah yeah I don't think those both of those were seen as okay at the time maybe a little bit overpriced but like they were both seen as like guys okay they can fit they're productive like Gordon especially but yeah that just that was a disaster like you know beyond (laughs) that was really really bad obviously um 
The Lakers, a uh, team that have a pretty illustrious um, history. Um, I would, you know, early on, uh, Kazi Russell in 74, a very interesting early uh, uh, example of unrestricted free agency, almost as a technicality. Uh, Jamal Wilkes uh, coming from the, uh, of course, been a champion with the Warriors in 75, coming over in uh, 77. Uh, Mitch Kupchak coming over from the uh, Bullets, which was kind of seen as a big deal at the time, although it was disastrous because of uh, Kupchak's uh, knee injuries, although it didn't, of course, didn't limit them from winning the championships they won. Uh, Sam Perkins, 1990, important player for the 91 championship team. Um, a few other notable ones, uh, Gary Payton and Carl Malone in 2003, despite being advanced in their career, were you know a big deal. Uh, Ron Artest, uh, Metal World Peace, coming in in 2009 and you know leading them to their helping lead them to the second championship, and then Steve Nash in uh, uh, 2012, of course, and that not, not working out very well. But you know, along with uh, the trade of Dwight Howard, was expected to you know give the uh, Lakers a you know they, they were thought of like hey they could be a super team like Miami was, but uh, not really working out, of course there. Of course, the winner here, without question, one of the biggest free agents of all time, Shaquille O'Neal, like '96. Yeah, one down, of the without, biggest, without both physically and uh, and uh, just in terms of his impact on the court. Yeah, this is this is this is Shaq all the way. Yes, another obvious one: the uh, Sacramento Kings. Uh, really, um, not a whole lot of great candidates here. You got Terry Tyler, 1985, from the uh, from from the Pistons. Really, just more like a kind of a solid vet, but was one of the very few times Sacramento was able to lure anybody of of notes to their team. Uh, Bobby Jackson in 2000, maybe even Sharif Abdul-Rahim in, in t- 2005, kind of at the end of that, you know, decent, good Kings run. But without question, Vlade Divac in uh, 1998, uh, same uh, offseason in which they added Chris Webber, Peja Stojakovic, and Jason Williams to the team. This was actually technically in 99 because of the lockout, um, listed as 98 in uh uh, in the uh, in the tracking, and normally it would have been ninety eight. But anyway, uh, yeah, and and Vlade came over as a free agent from the uh, Hornets, and absolutely, you know, those, those players turned around the team pretty much right away, and they became a championship yep, contender yep, within a you know, year. Uh, Bobby after Jackson that. obviously played a role in that team, but yeah, Vlade was was much more important. So uh, yeah, this is Vlade. Uh, next, Boston Celtics. Um, you know, d- despite of course having illustrious history, not a whole lot of free agents uh, that were notable. Uh, you could look at ML Carr in nineteen seventy nine, was part of a. Uh, ended up the competition ended up being trading away Bob McAdoo, one of the uh, half a dozen or so trades that McAdoo was involved in before he settled with the Lakers later on. And honestly, he was best known for towel waving for the mid eighty Celtics, but he averaged eighteen point seven points per game, seven point four rebounds per game, three point three assists, and two point five steals, which led the league for Detroit that team. So he was you know a, a solid pretty good star at that point. Uh, Pete Maravich in nineteen eighty was just more of a name. Same with Dominique Wilkins in nineteen ninety four. Um, better free agents, more impactful free agents, big names uh, in the last couple of years. Twenty sixteen Al Horford and twenty seventeen Gordon Hayward. I would say at the at the point of their career that they are at, I think Hayward is probably the bigger of the two rather than Horford. Although I think obviously yep, Horford I agree that, overall um, the better. Yeah, player. I think I mean Hayward. That's a that was that was a huge signing, and I think I think will will prove to be whether they use him in a trade or whether they uh, he ends up just playing for this team. But uh, yeah, it is it is kind of crazy that a team that with this much history has had so few uh, marquee free agents but uh but yeah here we are they're they're, they're two latest probably being their two biggest yeah absolutely uh next we have the uh, warriors um rick barry has been talked about before i mean kind of was really one of the first significant nba free agents in NBA history in, in 68 when he uh left to jump to the aba was forced to sit out a year because of the option clause then 
Uh, played a few, a couple years for the ABA, and then tried to sign with the Warriors. Actually, I believe 1970, uh, but there was a legal battle that prevented him from doing so. He ended up playing a couple years with the Nets, and then went back to the uh, NBA 1972, back with the Warriors, and led them, of course, to the some some good years, the 75 championship, and all of that. Um, uh, later, much later on, uh, some significant free agents. 2010, David Lee. That was kind of a, a sort of a okay, a respectable player is going to is going to get for the Warriors again, which hadn't happened for a long time, at least free agency wise. Uh, and then Andre Iguodala, 2012. Um, you know, ended up becoming uh, you know what the early parts, joining up of course with Stephen Clay Thompson and uh, Draymond Green to form the core of their championship team. And then I think clearly the biggest one, Kevin Durant in uh, 2016, joining the 73 win warriors to, uh, you know, have them as perhaps, you know, uh, get them to the point where they're going to be considered. Yeah, a dynasty. Yeah, we'll see what happens uh, I mean, Iguodala maybe like paved the way for that, uh, or for this, this current era of kind of warriors basketball that, you know, he, right. he came off, he signed with them after their, their first playoff appearance of this run. But, uh, but yeah, that's just Katie. Let's not overthink it. Yeah, yeah, Barry, I think, has maybe some, you know, he may be the runner-up here, but yeah, I think definitely KD. Uh, last but not least, the New York Knicks. Um, not as much of one as you might have expected, given that they're, they're market, but they have a few notable ones. Uh, Marvin Webster, 1978, and this was coming off of a incredible performance in Game 7 of the uh, NBA Finals with the Sonics. He'd also been part of the uh, the Nuggets in 76. Their uh, road to the uh, Finals had been like a, a number three overall draft pick. I believe just a few years earlier. So he was a big deal, you know, a, a great defensive big man. And uh, it seemed like he was on the, on the verge of being a star. And unfortunately some health issues uh, derailed him. He had, he had a kind of a solid career, but, but nothing particularly special. And the, the Knicks ended up having a trade Lonnie Shelton. It was important for the Sonics, a championship the uh, next season. So, so, so it didn't work out for the best, but that was definitely a big name at the time. Bernard King in 82, uh, coming from the Golden State Warriors, kind of rebuilding his career after some drug uh, issues. Uh, they also added Paul Westfall and Ernie Grenfeld uh, that offseason to remake the team and, you know, have, of course, make the playoff run in uh, 84. Um, later on, Allen Houston, not 96, coming from the uh, Pistons and, you know, great uh, shooting guard that they were able to um, add. And uh, most recently, Amari Stoudemire in uh, 2010. Uh, of course, that, that huge summer was, again, more of a consolation prize. But he, obviously, Amari was an absolute uh, stud with the uh, Suns. And I, I think really the only thing that limits him from being the definite choice on this list is, you know, the injuries that uh, you know, were always you – know, People realize that okay, maybe the injuries are going to derail him, but there was definitely hope that he would be able to, you know, be a big star for them. And he certainly was productive and, and helpful for a while. Coming, Carmelo coming in sort of limited that to a certain extent, and then the injuries kind of caught up with him, and then it ended up being a disappointment. But at the time, it was definitely, it was definitely, yeah, he's mine as well. Houston's he's big. I mean, he, that was a, especially given his age, he was a young player. It's like you're going to get him for the prime of, of his career. Um, but uh, but yeah, this is this is Amari for me. It's like you know a guy that you know embraced the New York thing. I mean, he was like he wanted to be the kind of the man there. Um, obviously, the hopes for LeBron, but that's that's okay. I mean, that they you know ended up with a guy who for at least a short time kind of owned the Garden until uh, Carmelo came in and and uh, Mike D'Antoni's overplaying you know hurt his knees so uh that's uh yeah an unfortunate a, sh- a short peak but but a, but a peak nonetheless yeah and, and bernard i would say like once he you know a couple years later in new york he was obviously you know he was the king of new york and all that but i don't know if in 82 that was it, that was quite seen quite at that level like he was definitely like you know intriguing and he obviously it was a big deal but he was not um 
I, I don't think it was quite seen as a yeah. I think Bernard would be choice if we were seen, doing you know, the what, what free edge had the biggest impact, you know, of, the, of this list. But uh, but no, yeah, I, I would go with Mari, with Mari for me. So that's it. That's uh, all thirty NBA teams. Hope you guys uh, in, in, enjoyed a look at this. Uh, before we go, I want you to talk a little bit about your uh, project you had at Basketball Pantheon uh, about the uh, yeah. So um, this kind of started uh, really the, the the beginning of, of this site was uh, kind of a shout out to a um, I'm, a I'm a huge soccer fan. So um, there's this Irish writer Miguel Delaney who created uh, the Football Pantheon um, way back I think in 2011 I believe, um, and he he kind of called the the greatest moments in football history, the crown jewel of his site. Now, um, what he did is, is a little more difficult because you're, you're canvassing, you know, the whole world of, of soccer and leagues from all over the world. And he's trying to narrow it down to a hundred moments where I was just doing pro basketball and, and specifically pro basketball, obviously in America. I mean, this is, this is a, you know, a, NBA and ABA history essentially. Um, but yeah, I, so the goal was just like, okay, how do I create something where I, I rank things based on different factors? Um, and come up with a list that that's not just like greatest buzzer beaters or greatest whatever, but kind of encompasses everything. So it doesn't have to necessarily be something on the court. Um, and so that's why, you know, we got some moments like the color barrier being broken or the shot clock being invented or things like that. Um, and I, I, on his site, I, I learned a ton through it um, because I, I, once I got, got into soccer, I wanted to learn about the history and there weren't as many tools to do that. And so, you know, he had videos with each thing and I just thought that'd be a very cool thing to have on mine. Um, and so I kind of viewed it as like, this is kind of the crown jewel of this site as well. And so it started, you know, a few years ago and um, really did most of the rankings uh, about about a year ago, kind of graded on five different pieces of criteria and uh, came out with about a, about 250 moments and then uh, knocked off a bunch and then never settled on an ex- exact number. So I said, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm going to add to it each year. So I don't really care. So I kind of just started with the, the last one that I really wanted, which is a, a Brandon Roy moment uh, from uh, the 2011 playoffs, because I really like Brandon Roy and kind of wanted to give him a, a shout out. So then I kind of went from there. So it's now at 160. 68 after updating it for this year's playoffs I added a couple more um and it uh it finished on june 14th which was just uh 10 days ago as we're recording this which was michael jordan's last shot which that date was the 20th anniversary of that shot so that was a little bit of the vision for it once i realized that was going to be number one i thought it'd be really cool to kind of finish the list on that day um and and that's what i did so um very fun list it was a ton of work uh, i hope people enjoy it i know people are going to argue about it that's fine that's not really the point the point is just to learn and kind of uh engage with the history of the league so um yeah it was uh, it was a lot of fun yeah, and I think that's a great way to put it. It's it's a learning tool. There are just moments on here that like, oh, I completely forgot about it. Or, oh, yeah, I never really heard about that one. There's just so many that obviously there is, you know, the NBA and ABA have such an extensive, huge history of things. You know, Even us who have spent, you know, many, 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 many hours, you know, learning about it and reading about it and watching and all that good stuff. There's, there's no way you can remember everything. So just having something like this is a, just as a, as a, as a guidepost to just kind of look at, okay, these, these are some of the great moments and these are some of the really important things. And I, and I loved how you, you know, try to look at like the criteria in, in different um, aspects of it with, you know, wow factor, looking at the stakes, looking at the effect, looking at, you know, uh, aesthetically what it looked like, looking at, you know, at, at what it meant for an era or what, you know, how it defined an era, all those different things. I mean, I, I think you just, uh, you, you did a, it's a wonderful job uh, putting this together. It's, it's a really, uh, really cool thing, really fun, really educational. Um, we'll obviously have a link to it in the show notes. And if you haven't seen that, definitely, um, you know, recommend uh, you bookmarking it, you know, digest some, some of it here, uh, you know, uh, just digesting it a little bit at a time and, you know, keeping it active and uh, yeah, it's some uh, good stuff. So I, uh, I thank you that, Absolutely for that. Yeah, I thank you very for much the, for, for being on the show. It was, uh, it was a, lot, a lot of work, but definitely kind of a labor of love. And I, I hope people enjoyed as much as I uh, enjoyed working on it.
So uh, everyone, of course, uh, you can uh, find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Wherever you listen to your podcast, just search for Over and Back. If you want to leave us a rating and review, we'd greatly appreciate that. You can find us at the Step Back at Fansided uh, There's lots of great uh, articles. You know, we're going to be in the midst of free agency soon, so lots of uh, great stuff as uh, free agency happens. I'm sure there'll be some fun trades and other good stuff. Uh, there, always excellent uh, coverage, uh, whether it's just the latest news or uh, good podcasts or just uh, you know some fun features they got it all there at the step back so check that out you can find us on twitter and facebook um at uh, over and back nba as well so uh thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back again soon